Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Cast. Uh, Bud, before we shift our focus uh, away from a disappointing opener to Game 2, uh, we will thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana. Louisiana Hot Sauce, title sponsor of the Cast. Three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. And with that, let's hopefully jump into a preview pod that will give people a fantastic idea as to what they'll see come 5 o'clock on Saturday. Yeah, I think you, what you're going to get from this conversation is, is that this is a, a not a meaningful game as far as like, oh, Florida State has to win this, but there's actually some some pretty cool parallels between what ULM does on offense, defense, and, and some of the upcoming opponents' rep issues. So you'll actually get some schematic use and some good practice reps in repping for ULM. Also, it's a, it's a game they can get some confidence back on. But, you know, if you're there, you really need to hit up Madison Social before the game. Madison Social and Township. And Central are also just great spots to go before the game. We were there before the game against Boise. The tailgating experience there at Madso was much better than the actual game against Boise. Although the first half was right up there with with Madso's experience. Uh, but Madso is, is much more consistent, unfortunately, right now than the football team is. But get yourself a Nolcast Bloody Mary. Uh, we, we've described it many times. It's a, a House Bloody Mary, Louisiana hot sauce. You actually get a, a slider. I think there's a piece of bacon in there. Pretty awesome, and you, you get it in, in, in the pint glass. Definitely something you need to do there before the ball game. And uh, I I just post up there about noon and just watch all the other college ball games all day, maybe do a little betting, and then head on into the game because you know it's going to be a hot one. So pretty good patio uh, drinking weather as well. So with that, let's get into it. All right, well, welcome in Adam Hunsker. Adam is with the New Star. has been with them for five years, previously covered preps. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, by the way, at Adam underscore Hunsaker. That's H-U-N-S-U-C-K-E-R. He's a good follow on Twitter. I started following him earlier this week, and uh, it's a good follow for some ULM and Sunbelt coverage. And to be honest, was our only option for tonight. Uh, limited in terms of number, but not in terms of quality. He's the only print journalist covering ULM. So, Adam, welcome to the show. Yeah, it's a uh, it, it, it's a small world uh, down down in these parts, but I, I appreciate you saying that. And uh, too, it's cool to be on with you. Um, I followed you uh, you guys' work not only at SB Nation, but what you and the uh, guys are doing now and, and gals at uh, Banner Society. So cool to be on your platform, and we've got a we got ourselves a game to talk about this week. We we do now. First, I want to know: is it Monroe or Monroe? Monroe. So that's like they, yeah yeah they um the. The, lo- the, lo- the locals aren't, aren't real thrilled with the Monroe. The, uh, it's, it's the Monroe. I'm sure uh, there's a couple, couple of the local eccentricities about this place. I'm sure. I'm sure God can fill you in on. But yeah, they it, it is, they they definitely do not like the Monroe. All right, so we're we're gonna go with with the U for sure. Um, so Sunbelt team last year almost made a bowl, uh, but certainly an improved team over last year. Head coach uh, Matt is it Viator or, Vi- or Viator? Viator. Viator. Okay. Option so a little, little bit of both. <laughs> I like that. And uh, they, they had a pretty solid win over Grambling, looks like. Uh, just I know we watched the highlights. Ingram, did you watch the whole game or did you just watch the highlights? I saw uh, I saw the vast majority of the game. So it was, uh, it was fun. Dedication. Different. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was fun to watch. Some, some nice pieces on the roster. So we'll open it up to you. If you kind of want to just give a – a general rundown, start wherever you want, and we'll kind of interject with some questions that, that we have that may pertain to the game. And uh, we, we kind of have some questions listed out here for offense and defense. But 
What's your general sense of, of this, this 2019 Warhawk team? Well, when, when you look at the roster, I mean, it, it starts, you got to go back to 2015 when um, this program was absolutely cratered. Um, Todd Berry was fired in the midst of a 2-11 and season, and uh, ULM decided they wanted to go in a, in a different direction, and uh, they brought in Matt Viator, who was very successful in about a 10-year run down at McNeese State, where uh, they had a couple undefeated regular seasons, won four Southland Conference championships, and routinely sent guys into the NFL, and... Um, you know, Matt's background, he was a high school coach in Louisiana for a long time, and that was something that was really important to ULM because they wanted somebody that was going to come in here and already have relationships with these coaches and recruiting, which was, uh, you know, it was just something as far as getting in-state kids that, um, you know, the previous staff had taken some heat for. So that, that was the reason they brought him in, and he's kind of slowly but surely built this thing. You know, in their, their first year in 2016, I mean, it was – I mean, I don't even know if that if it would have been a bad FCS roster, as bad as what they inherited. But they they've stayed at it, they've plugged away, and then you know last year they got bowl eligible, which you know at a program like ULM, I'm sure we'll touch on some of the challenges later. That that should never be taken for granted. And uh, even though they missed out on on a bowl because there was too many six and six teams and not enough bowls, but um, you look at it this year and this roster, I mean, for the first time they really have what up and down you would consider a roster that's capable of competing in the Sun Belt. You know, especially along the line of scrimmage, that was kind of a deficiency. And, you know, there's still a, still some, some new faces and some um, unknowns in the secondary, but that's something they're confident you know, can turn around. So, really, they feel good about, about what they have. It's one of those things where there's no gaping holes on the roster. It's just going to kind of see how this thing comes together, more, more or less, going throughout the season. The schedule is uh, not kind. When you know you you get past the guarantee games and stuff, you're going to have to play when you're you're a lower level G5. But then you're going to go to App State, you're going to go to Georgia Southern, uh, you're going to go to Louisiana Lafayette, and those are you know three pretty tough road trips at conference right there. It does seem like every year ULM starts off with with just a a crazy uh, like like schedule. I mean, like they they just they make sure to get their three guarantee games right off the bat typically. Don't well, they? they've they've actually got it down to two. And you know they feel good the fact that they were actually able to do that. There was a point there was a point in this program where they were playing they were playing three and four guaranteed games a year not not even not that long ago but they got a wheel to two and they've kind of stumbled upon a scheduling model that works for them. You get your two guaranteed games and then you have some kind of a home and home set up with a, with another P five. They uh, they've done that with Southern Miss and this year Memphis is going to come to Malone Stadium and then they buy and then they go buy an FCS game you know a, a game they should win although. Those can get kind of hairy as, you know, when they played Southeastern Louisiana last year. But when you're in ULM situation financially, I mean, you got the lowest budget in the um, you the lowest budget in the FBS. I mean, some there there was a non a non Sun Belt um, football member. I, I can't think of which one that actually brought in more revenue than ULM did last year. So you know, financially, it's just tough, and, and you're trying to you know compete and stay with the Joneses in this league. And you know, it's funny to use that phrase when people think about the P5, but even then, you know, that's just that's just kind of the situation they face trying to keep up. Not that they can't win these guarantee games. I mean, certainly we we, we saw the uh, yellow school bus game uh, against against uh, Saban and the Tide back in '07. But have you have you talked with their coach about mindset and and how he you get you got to be up to play these games, but at the same time, like how does he keep how does he keep them level and, and balanced to where like if if they do go you know, O2 and barbecue on the guarantee games that they're still ready uh, and, and motivated for conference season. Have you spoken with him about that at all? 
Oh yeah, we we did something. But anytime, I mean, you're covering ULM, and uh, you're, you're you you and the head football coach are going to end up having discussions about that. And you know, Vitor kind of looks at those. I mean, you know, he kind of uses the coaching cliches. He calls them opportunity games because that's the way he sees them. It's an opportunity for ULM to be on to be on television and um, you know, kind of get their program out there and hopefully compete and then you know build build a name for themselves and. It's one of those things that I believe I remember it was two years back in 2017 they went to Auburn and they were within a touchdown of Auburn at halftime and you know that's kind of the, the way they approach that is just trying trying to you know kind of trying to shock the world and you know get their name out there but at the same time you know Matt's very good about you know they're not going to go in with a bunch of with a bunch of gadgets and a bunch of trick plays and things that they'll never run again for the rest of the year you know he wants to he wants ULM to go in and they're going to run their base stuff and do what they do on both sides of the ball because. In his mind, that's the only way that they're going to get better. And, you know, playing, you know, competition that's where they're outgunned, doing what they do instead of, you know, trying to come in with a bunch of gadgets and things that, that they'll never do again for the rest of the year. Adam, uh, two pieces immediately stand out when you when you look at the roster, and the first of which is uh, is quarterback Caleb Evans, not necessarily a guy that uh, you would tell every, you know, aspiring quarterback that you'd want him to mimic his throwing motion, but a uh, – a very effective quarterback who's pretty pretty good when he has to rely on his legs as well. And then a uh, transfer in from, I guess, from Old Miss via Juco. Josh Johnson is uh, only only one game into his career, but had two really nice runs against Grambling. And you think that's something that, uh, at this point, that's, that's your number one back. Two other pretty impressive backs in Phillips and Vaughn as well. I was Im- impressed with the uh, the options that they have back there. Yeah, with Josh, this has been a long time coming for him. And he, he's one of the, you know, the fans are always going to have their favorites that they ask about. They wonder why they're not playing or they want to see contribute more. And Josh has been that guy just because a little bit about his backstory. You know, he uh, he's from Opelika, Alabama, over there by Auburn. He went to JUCO. He was at, he was at Cahoma Community College in Mississippi. And he was committed to Ole Miss uh, for a time. And things didn't things didn't work out, and uh, he ended up stuck in Oklahoma. And um, you know, every any time a fan of a P5 sees you know uh, uh, or sees a G5 sees a P5 name attached to a kid, they're going to start salivating, thinking that they're getting a steal on a, on a, some kind of a gym player. And he may end up being that, but you know, ULM unearthed him to, at, at junior college, and he didn't come in until August camp last year. So when he got there, you know, he he was out of shape. He wasn't really you know ready to contribute, but. Now that he's had a full year in the program, I mean, that, he had this coming out party against Grambling. You know, Grambling, that, that's, a, that's an FCS team. But, you know, it was, still, it was still good to see. And, you know, 173 yards on, on 10 carries, you know, two touchdowns, that's, uh, that's getting the job done. But um, as far as Caleb Evans, you know, he's been a, he's been a four-year starter for them. And um, even though they, they don't – you know, the, the comparison I always make for him, and it's not necessarily in terms – that much in terms of style, other than both running quarterbacks or, or throwing motion or anything like that. But he reminds me of Josh Dobbs a little bit at Tennessee in the fact that they, they were able to recruit him and they signed him in, their, in uh, their, their first recruiting class at ULM, and they really wanted to redshirt him. But because of injury and attrition, they had to play him. So they had to pull his redshirt and play him towards the end of the year. So he's a guy they would like to be a junior, but as a senior you know, in class and you know, he, he's, um, you know, he, and, and really he's, for all the, you know, kind of adversity he's faced having to play early and everything, he's had a really good career there. I mean, he's, you look at his passing numbers and just kind of in a historical context, ULM, people maybe not know, but back when ULM was an FCS program, they were uh, 
in the eighties, they were a powerhouse, won a national championship. They had, you know, quarterbacks like Sam Humphreys and Doug Peterson and Bubby Brister. They all played there. And, um, Caleb's steady climbing on those record books. He's, um, he's fifth all time in career passing right now. And he's third in all purpose yards. And what they're trying to get him to do to take his game to the next level is cut down on the turnovers and the interception. So he was very good as a sophomore, but last year, his junior year, I think he had about 16 touchdowns and 12 interceptions. So, it's just kind of cutting those cutting those down and not forcing throws down the field with, with a check down or the stick route or something right, right there is there and hunting for the big play. So one thing I noticed, and you know, I, I chat with Bill a lot, even though he, he's gone to ESPN now, ULM had one of the biggest splits you will ever see as far as efficiency on passing downs versus standard downs. And, and Florida State fans are very familiar with this because Florida State's offensive line <laughs> kind of sucks. So – they don't really block very well when the defense knows what's coming. But Florida State has never had a split like this. Ninth on standard downs in efficiency, 98 <laughs> on passing on you know the longer down and distance last year. A, what on earth caused it to be that big? Because I don't think I. I mean, I, I've I've geeked out over Bill's numbers and had access to pretty much it all for you know, God, about a decade now. I don't know that I've ever seen a split that large. What? What was happening there, and then do you anticipate a split like that to continue this year? I don't anticipate a split like that this year if Josh Johnson keeps running like he's running. And that, that's kind of a thing that's been a renewed emphasis on running the football through, throughout spring ball because a lot of what ULM does, it, it's very much RPO-based. You know, a lot Actually, a lot of the plays that they run, they got from, from Doug Peterson and the Philadelphia Eagles as far as the RPO goes. Doug being a former quarterback at ULM, and his son Josh is actually their starting tight end. So they, they spend a lot of time with that staff you know, every year in the offseason. Doug has a house here in Monroe still. You know, his brothers both live here, so they'll be in town a lot. But you know, the thing that got them last year was they would get in, they, on, on, on those passing downs, they would be in third, a lot of third and forevers whether it be, you know, a, a, some kind of negative play or just, you know, they, they, were throw, they were throwing the ball on first and second down and throwing incompletions. They didn't really, you know, kind of have that pop in the running game that they needed. So that, I think that, that's a lot of the reason why we, we, they, they, were, they were much better on standard downs than, than passing downs. And that's, uh, you know, something that, you know, so far, at least through one game, and again, you know, it is an FCS opponent. They they weren't in a whole lot of third longs, and they, they converted very well on third down, and um, that's something they're going to try to do throughout the rest of the year. For sure. Uh, at receiver, how have they gone about replacing Marcus Green? Just the, looking at his stuff last year, I mean, 82 targets, 50 catches, 853 yards. He basically had about as much production as, as the next two guys combined. Uh, the only player on the team to have more than two touchdown catches, it looks like. Um, the only receiver to have more than one he, with, with eight, and he looked like he was kind of their standout. How have they gone about replacing him? Well, and you know, I think they realize that you're not really going to replace Marcus Green in terms of that was a guy that you know they could throw the football to, and even when they got desperate, they'd line him up at tailback and just hand it to him. I mean, that was a guy. Whenever he got his hands on the football, he could make something happen. Now you don't, they don't, they don't have a guy like that this year that can do that, but they do like what they have at receiver and. You know they've got and, they, and they've got a lot of them that they that they feel good about that have been a program for a while. Xavier Brown is a senior. He actually uh, had to take a medical redshirt last year. He didn't progress from a shoulder injury in the offseason like they wanted, so they tried to play him in his four games. He couldn't go, so they shut him down. But 
that's a guy they're counting on. Uh, Marquise McCray is another, see, another receiver who can do a lot of the things in the slot that Marcus Green did for them. And then they really like um, you know, some, some younger guys like uh, Zach Jackson, sophomore, uh, Brandius Batiste. He's an in-state kid from down in Welsh. That's a junior that's been in the program a while. So they like what they have at receiver. It's just you know getting them out there and letting them play because that was the – you, know, you lose Marcus Green, but also, too, um, they also lost R.J. Turner, who was their second-best receiver. He left as a grad transfer into Texas Tech now. So those, those are some those are some pretty big shoes to fill a receiver, but, you know, the coaching staff likes what they have. And, you know, so, so far it's uh, it's shown up now. They didn't throw the whole ball a whole lot against Graham because they didn't have to. And, you know, I'd be kind of curious to see what they what they do against Florida State because depending on how the game goes, you know, ULM's in those, in those passing downs, you know, one of those guys is going to have to make a play. Well, if things continue uh, as they were last week, then they may not have to pass at all. Florida State may just <laughs> not have a coach up in the box and then may miss a line to the tight end side damn near every time. And uh, if you if ULM is cool with just you know going five yards a pop, uh, they, they, they might have they might, you might be able to save that passing stuff for uh, for Sunbelt play. You know, it's funny you talk about that because I brought that up with both uh, with both Deator and. Uh, Matt Cubic, the offensive coordinator, and even Nagabi, he's the offensive line coach. And they were all really surprised to see Florida State come out and come out in a three-four. Because that's been one of the talking points all year. Is they spent a lot of a lot of time scheming up for the three-four because they're going to play nine teams that are in some form of odd front this year. But they just they just weren't expecting it from the Noles. So when they saw that, it was kind of like, okay, well, I guess this is uh this is here a lot quicker than we thought it was going to be. So Florida State's linebackers are, are kind of terrible by FSU standards, at least. <laughs> they, 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 they did not have a good day Saturday. I, no, I, I no. Watched, uh, uh, I watched play the game this week. The front is pretty good, I, I think. I would be surprised if all three of those guys don't eventually end up in the NFL. The back, I don't think it's real coordinated, but talent-wise, I mean, those dudes were, were pretty much all studs in high school. And right as I'm about to read this, I actually had somebody DM me here. Hey, how do I get in touch with Shannon Young of Resolution Home Loans? Literally, 9.31 p.m. I was like, oh, easy, man. 844-FSU-LOAN. Uh, it, it's That's that's awesome. I'm going to probably screen, screenshot that and send that to Shannon um, and black out the guy's name, obviously, for privacy concerns. But that's pretty cool. 844-FSU-LOAN is how you get in touch with Shannon Young of Resolution Home Loans, the best loan guy in the business. He did mine. He did more than 30 other Nolcast listeners. We also have another closing that he emailed me about on Tuesday, and I need to go ahead and at some point this week, probably on Friday, which is my off day, send him out a T-shirt. Great rates, great time to do it right now. 844-FSU-LOAN or FSUHomeLoan.com. But, yeah, that, that'll be an interesting challenge. I know Ingram had a question. Literally, <laughs> this is this is a good segue in here about the, uh, the offensive line. The offensive line is – look, it's hard to judge a whole lot, all due respect to, to Grambling, but uh, it looked uh, looked pretty experienced and uh, didn't allow too many uh, TFLs or, or sacks. Is that uh, more scheme-based, or is that indicative of a unit that's kind of grown up in the program evolution that you described earlier? Oh, it, it, I think it's, it might be a little bit of both, but I definitely lean towards the latter. I mean, they've got – They've got four. They've got four starters back on the offensive line, three seniors and a junior. And really, they'd, they'd have all five back. But um, Devin Jackson, who would have been a senior this year, he uh, he left, decided to give up football. So, and and the guy they plugged in, Brandon Jones, is a senior and was their first 
first guy off the bench last year that played a whole lot. So this offensive line has definitely got some experience. I believe uh, before Jackson left, it was one of the top ten. It was in the top ten of the country, both uh, both G5 and P5 in, in career starts. So that, that is indicative of, of kind, the kind of experience they have. You know, the one thing, the one thing I, I, I give them credit for against Grambling, because like, like we've been saying, it was Grambling, but you got to look at what Grambling does on defense. They play, uh, they play one of those three three fives. It's a lot like it's a lot like the Rocky Long New Mexico version of the three three five that comes from that school because their their coordinator Grambling was at ULM for a while into the previous staff, and that's where they got it from. So they were giving them a lot of weird stuff up front. You know, you, you know, um, guys in and out of gaps. Um, different kind of alignments and try to prevent double teams. And I kind of expected for him to come out and maybe try to throw a little quick game early uh, to kind of loosen that up. That's what Louisiana Lafayette did to Grambling last year. But, but they came out dead set on running the football, and they did it. You know, you know, T.J. Uh, Fiola, he came into the program at about 340 pounds. But, you know, they, they've, they've worked with him as far as, you know, getting his weight down and getting stronger and everything. He's down to about 299, and. You know, to go from that big to, you know, a more toned up 299, he's been a monster. And um, Brandon Jones is about, about 310, 315, so uh, another good-sized kid. And, you know, to kind of look at their offensive line, also their tackles, Eastwood Thomas, they, they picked him up on uh, Rob Sale. Uh, that, that was uh, that's the offensive coordinator at Louisiana Lafayette now. He was uh, also the O-line coach during uh, Mark Ricks last year with Georgia. Um, when, when Vitor and these guys first got here, um, Sale came as the offensive line coach. He's from Monroe. Um, he worked with Vitor at McNeese State. And he, got, he found Eastwood Thomas at Alabama. He was a walk-on kid there that he felt was good enough to come and be on scholarship at ULM. And they, they brought him up here, and he's been a starter ever since his first day in the program. And then you go look at the other tackle, Trace Bellison. He actually started out at Texas Tech and ran into, ran into a little trouble up there, got kicked off the program. And they brought him in. He had to sit for a year, and he's he's also been been a starter um, since he's been eligible. Dude, that's awesome. Okay, it's probably one of the better lines in the Sun Belt. Then, I mean, gotta be. Oh, I, I would I would agree. I would agree. And you put that behind you know behind Caleb Evans. You know, we've talked about him, but you know he was voted preseason second team at quarterback. But he really has the talent to be arguably the best quarterback in the Sun Belt this year if you just. Uh, you know, can improve on on the um, cut down on those turnovers and kind of improve the decision making because he has a he kind of has a habit. He he sits in the pocket and waiting for something to open. He's going to want to throw it downfield to try to hit that big play. And sometimes bad things happen when he does that. Before uh, we uh, transfer to the defense here, I wouldn't I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't respond to the hypothetical that you guys mentioned a, a couple minutes ago about maybe a uh, a team from the Sun Belt traveling to the state of Florida and beating a team without having to throw the ball or complete a pass once. So I uh, can't, can't let an opportunity like that go by. Well, now that except, except Georgia, Georgia Southern was in the South one then too. That, they were still FCS when that happened. Yeah. Well, something I'm, Florida I'm, fans I'm, don't like to, don't do not like to recall. <laughs> <laughs> it's something that is contractually obligated that we bring up anytime we legitimately can. So I uh, didn't want to, let that opportunity slip. Ingram, divorce, child, custody, paternity, all, all these things are, are really serious family law issues. And, and if you're going through one of these, you need an expert on your side. You need Travis Johnson. You can reach Travis at 850-435-9919. Over a decade practicing family law, 
one of only 280 board-certified family law attorneys in the state of Florida. That's out of more than 10,000 attorneys. He's somebody who really knows what he's talking about in this field, a lot of experience. Base office is Pensacola, but he'll come to you. Clients throughout the state, again, 850-435-9919 to reach Travis Johnson for all your family law needs. All right, now it's time to talk, talk a little defense. We're back with Adam Hunsaker. You can follow Adam at Adam underscore Hunsaker. Uh, on Twitter, really good follow. I've enjoyed following this week, and uh, unlike some of these beat writers, we got to follow on a weekly basis. I'm, I'm going to keep following. He, he has he has good stuff, and uh, we had some interesting news on uh, on the defensive side of the football for Louisiana Monroe this this week, with uh, <laughs> which is actually kind of yeah. <laughs> it, you've you've had to crank out some stories, man. This is I, I read the one you wrote, and I was like, damn, so, like some papers would make him turn this into like four different stories. This is chock full of news. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Mean, just some, sometimes it works out like that, um, and it's whether it's that. I mean, we we always joke all the time. Uh, strange things happen at ULM. You know, the locals they refer to it as the uh, the curse of Chief Brave Spirit because uh, back in the day before they were the Warhawks, uh, ULM was one of the schools that actually had the Indian mascot and had to change it. And Chief Brave Spirit was the mascot. It was your typical cartoonish. Um, borderline offensive Indian looking guy, but you know, they just kind of refer to it as the curse of team breaks. It's bad. It's bad vibes. And whenever something bad can happen, it will happen. So have you seen the spitting video? I have seen the spitting video. Is it, is um, it clear? Like, is it like Robbie Alomar? No doubt. Or is it, uh, or is it like a Seinfeld like type thing? Yeah, I mean, if we're, if we're, if we're evaluating spit videos, I don't think it's up there with Alomar or Bill Romanowski. But you can you can definitely see um, the two helmets uh, make contact, and one head from ULM go forward, and then the other head from Grambling come back, and then start into the histrionics as in somebody just spit in his face, and you know it, it was enough to get him a suspension. I I, I got I kind of that's what it wasn't just me um, being blindsided with stuff this week. It was also uh, Matt Viator. He had no idea about any of this on Labor Day. And then um, he got a call from my colleague that covers Grambling at Louisiana Tech. It's like, oh, this is, I guess this is how today's going to go. And um, <laughs> he, um, you know, he called uh, Robert Fobbs as Grambling's head coach. Those two are, are very tight. Um, Fobbs was actually an assistant for Viator at McNeese State. So they kind of hashed it out. And after their talk, after seeing the video, it was enough for, uh, it was enough for Viator to act and um, suspend him. Now, of course, the kid he suspended, Kerry Starks, uh, to add some context there, he, uh, had a rough off season. He um, he was arrested in February for uh, domestic violence and criminal damage uh, to property charges with an incident with his uh, girlfriend, and he was indefinitely suspended from February until August camp started. But uh, Beatore was quick to point out that this was an on the field deal, not an off the field thing. So he wasn't, um, you know, he wasn't, I guess, piling on. I can't think of a better expression at the time to use with the suspension, but it was just something that he felt crossed the line. And uh, that's why he's not playing this week. And he is their best pass rusher. Yeah. Kerry's their best pass rusher. He uh, tied for the team team lead last year uh, with five sacks and uh, the other kid had five sacks. He's a linebacker since graduated. And, you know, he, he he's an athletic kid. Um, he's, at, he's out of John Eric. If you follow Louisiana recruiting, you're going to know who I'm talking about. This mm-hmm. school down in the new Orleans area. And, um, he was part of uh, the first recruiting class that they um, 
that, that, they, that they had when they got here. And he was one of the kids that they were able to pull the uh, pull the trigger on. He's uh, he's been he's been real productive for him. And um, you know they, they like what they have it in. That's that's become one of the deeper positions on the team with recruiting with some um, some good developmental guys from the high school ranks and a couple of JUCOs. But um, it's still going to be a loss for sure. And then the other thing that caught my eye in in, in reading your article. Was it Ty Shelby is his backup, and they think he's question or questionable or doubtful with the shoulder injury? So it's kind of a, a double bad news for Viator. Yeah, well, that's Sam Miller. Um, oh, Sam Miller, my bad. Talking about Excuse it, me. yeah, he's doubtful, and and you know Sam, you know, we were all kind of surprised that that starts was was starting going into the year because Sam had been the starter at defensive end, but um, you know, but Starks was able to overtake him during during, uh, during August camp, so. And he, he was kind of, and he was beat up a little bit during August camp. He had a shoulder issue there and was sick for a week. So I think that probably was part of the reason why Starks was starting. But yeah, they're in a situation right now where, you know, for being in practice this week, they've taken uh, Ty Shelby, who you mentioned. He's actually the backup to uh, Donald Lewis, the other end position. And he, he, I, I would look for him to start. But um, they also have uh, two guys they like. One of them is Ivan White. It's a kid they got out of um, got out of the Mississippi JUCO ranks, who's had had a really good um, had a really good spring and and camp. And then the other one, this is like I was talking about earlier. One of the ones the fans have kind of gravitated to is uh, Miles Cole. He uh, he's a kid, kind of a, I, I'm not necessarily local. He's uh, about an hour and a half up the road in Shreveport from Evangel, another school that people who follow recruiting will be familiar with. And mm-hmm. he's a kid that kind of came in as this six six lanky. Kind of thing, but he at six six, he's up to about two hundred and thirty five, two hundred forty pounds now. And you know, you, you watch, he's one of those that's yeah, that you want, that's good off the hoof, so to speak. You kind of want him first coming off the bus. So, I think those are the two guys you'll see um, you'll see come off the bench and, and contribute this week. The uh, watching the, spin, the uh, spinning is pretty big big news for Florida State's tackles because they're they're not real good. Welcome news, welcome news <laughs> for sure for that. Sorry. One of the things just standing out in the Grambling game is had to go back and rewatch a couple of plays, and I'm I'm not trying to belittle anybody here, but the your tackles are are a little bit undersized and occasionally can look like linebackers in uh, in a rewatch. Is that uh, that's nothing new for the team? It doesn't look like, but how have they dealt with that? And what are uh, what are some of the better pieces on the interior to keep an eye out for? Yeah, no, you're you're not wrong. They're a little light in the biscuit to tackle. I mean, that's just that's just kind of the way it is. That's what they. That's what they've had to work with. You're going to look at it. You're going to see a kid like uh, Laren Shaw. He's a junior college kid that they got um, that they brought in last year. He's probably the heaviest of them all. He's probably about 280. And then um, Mason Huffman, who's uh, who's about 265, 270. And mm-hmm. you know they do some schematic things to kind of to kind of try to mitigate that a little bit. You're going to see uh, you know that they play a nose and a defensive tackle. So you're going to see the defensive tackle line up in a four eye a lot. You know, if y'all are familiar with the numbers, they they try to do that to, um, you know, really really kind of neutralize some double teams and keep some guys clean because, you know, with, with Cortez Cisco and Chase Day at linebacker, those guys are pretty fast, so they feel like if if they line up that way and they try to double team, then one of those linebackers is going to be shooting there through the gap. So that's some of the, some of the kind of stuff they do. And then you know, kind of mentioned the other defensive end, Donald Lewis is a. Um, he, he's 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 about a about a three year starter for them. He's a he's a local kid from Monroe um, from Devil High School, another state powerhouse, and um, you know he's 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 an all Sun caliber player. And uh, but I think you're right when you look at the matchup in, in any P5, and um, when you own goes to play them, and 
you look up front, it's going to be how they hold up on the interior, especially for a team. If they're, if they're going to try to run between the tackles, do some inside zones and stuff, those guys are going to have to, those guys are going to have to hold their own. You mentioned his name there, but a, a pretty nice linebacker stands out in film, Chase Day. How long has that kid been in the program? He's an impressive number 32. Florida State fans will get fairly familiar with him quickly, I imagine. Uh, how long has he been there, and what does he project as? Now, he's been in the program as long as I've been covering him. I mean, he came mm-hmm. in he came in at 15 and registered that year. He's a, he's a Baton Rouge kid. And, you know, he, he was, he's a guy that, you know, has really – Really, really come on for them, um, especially last year and, and this year, because at one point, you know, he started early, but then his sophomore year, he actually uh, had got his job taken by uh, Rashad Harding, uh, another um, kid there, kid they're high on. But you know, since then, you know, he was injured a lot going going into last year, but about midway through the year, he got healthy and he's been in the lineup ever since. And had a great um, had a great game against Grambling. Had 12 tackles um, and an interception. He was uh, Louisiana Sports Writers Association uh, Defensive Player of the Week. So, yeah, that, that's a guy to watch. And Cisco. I mean, <laughs> we talk about shenanigans. Though that's another one we weren't sure is he suspended, is he not suspended? But word came down from um, Sun Belt Conference Commissioner Keith Gill yesterday that he's going to be playing the first half, or we thought he was going to be sitting. He actually was ejected against Grambling. For uh, what the call on the field was making contact with an official, but after the Sun Belt and ULM reviewed the film, it was a little iffy as far as how that actually happened. So there was definitely some uh, there was definitely some shoving with him and a Grambling player, and we ended up with that call. Don't ask me how, but anyway, it's been um, it's been handled by the conference office. He's going to play. That's, that's certainly good news for them to get him back. I was I was going to ask you about that video too. It's like, how much of your week has been reviewing the video? I'm like, wait, what? This is all right. That's definitely some yeah, look, spitting, look, and that's look. not a shove. Yeah, between between Twitter and ESPNU, uh, it's been there's been a lot of there's been a lot of time on the laptop today just trying to decipher stuff. But you know, in in, in a way, that's that's kind of week two, isn't it? I mean, just it, it never. This is always overreaction week at every level of college football, regardless of, of what happens to any given result. Team, um, in week one, so I guess it's just far from the course when you think about it. Hey, I, I want to just kind of circle back real quick, D line. I know we're keeping you here a little too long. Jalen Veasley, are you good? Veasley or or Veasley? He had a huge yeah, year Beasley. last year for them relative to the other guys. It looked like uh, you know as far as tackles and, and making TFLs and whatnot. But he's a backup now. Did, did the other guys just beat him out, or or what, is he hurt, or what, what's what's kind of going on there? Well, he, he was he was another kid that ran afoul of of the law in the offseason. He also got got involved in a uh, in a domestic issue with a, with a uh, former significant other. He was suspended um, indefinitely as well. He didn't come back until August camp. But you know, to be fair, kind of you know, kind of the fallout of that story. All the, uh, the 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 charges against him were dropped. So it wasn't you know one of those lingering type situation so he's back but i mean you don't you don't have an off season you come in right when an august camp it's going to take uh, it's going to take some time to you know to get ready to play and i think that's the situation he's in right now sure that makes sense and then kind of the, the one area of the team here we, we we already touched on linebackers and d-line that maybe doesn't have quite the returning experience uh is is the secondary what what do you like about the secondary and what are you what are you still trying to find out well, it's, it's funny. You look at the secondary, and there's a lot of juniors and seniors, but, like, the juniors and seniors really haven't played for one reason or another. Most of them related to injury because, 
this has kind of been the snake bitten group for the past two years. I mean, you've got, you've got a guy in Roy Williams, that corner who's a senior and a guy, Tyler Glass, who is a, um, who's a junior at free safety. They were supposed to be starters last year. Uh, Roy tore his ACL on the first day of August camp. And then Glass went down with the season ending injury in the opener. So you were already kind of reshuffling there. So it's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of guys that have been around, but we've seen so many different secondary combinations that we're trying to figure out, you know, really how this group's going to come together. Because now you look at this year, uh, you know, looking at the corners, Corey Strader is another local kid from Grant, from uh, Neville. He's been in the lineup basically ever since his ever since his freshman year. He was the kind of he was kind of that he was a three star kid that was, um, you know, after his sophomore year had offers from uh, from Tennessee and Arkansas and, and people like that. But then that just that kind of tapered off as as his uh, as his recruiting went on his junior and senior year, and he ended up at ULM. So he's a kid that has some talent and is really kind of coming to his own this year. And then. On the other side, they're starting to register freshmen. Um, another local, uh, Josh Newton, played at Washtenaw Parish High School. Uh, Roy, as Roy Williams is still dealing with some knee swelling from that ACL, they weren't afraid to throw Josh in there, and he gave up um, he gave up a couple catches against Grambling. But other than that, you know, performed pretty well. And you know, at the safety spot, Newland plays a four-two-five, and um, you know, everybody has different ways of you know which they're going to use the safeties there. They play a they play a week straight, a week safety. They're, I guess, they're what you would call their strong safety is the Buck player. He's the hybrid guy instead of, but he's more, but it's more of a safety slash corner type position because they ask him to cover the slot a lot. And uh, then they also play with a free safety. And the guy they have at the Buck is a, a new JUCO addition, uh, Kilo Sweeney. He's from East Mississippi, and he was the guy that actually beat Troy to get. You know, they were they were pretty they were pretty excited about that. And he's the first guy they've had at that position this staff has been here that can do the thing that they want done. You know, I talked to him at practice the other day, and he knows it's going to be a big week for them because uh, we look at Florida State's passing game with that grambling game. But the, uh, one of the few big ones they hit, I mean, it was the only one for a touchdown, was uh, was to a slot receiver. The safety from Boise was trying to carry him up vertically, and it did not go well. And so Kilos knows he's going to, he's going to get challenged in the slot there. Uh, he's going to have to uh, rise to the occasion. Yeah, I, I was looking at that. I was like, ooh, I, w- I wonder – I wonder how, how well they, they, they cover those deep shots from the slots because all, all that slot choice stuff or, you know, I, I know you follow ball, you know, a lot. I mean, that, that's, that's very much a browse staple. That's, that's going to be interesting out there. It, it, it sounds like it should be a, a kind of a good matchup for both teams schematically, by the way, like in, in watching the, the highlights against Grambling, I, I didn't watch the full game like Ingram did, but the team that Florida State has on deck is, is Virginia. Okay, and they run pretty much eleven personnel. Some, some, you know, some ten. They have a very mobile quarterback, who is not necessarily the best thrower in the world, but generally gets the ball where it needs to go, and is really difficult to sack. And they run a pretty aggressive defense. And on the flip, like which is kind of what it seems like ULM does. And on the flip side, uh, ULM getting the benefit of of, uh, um, of, of playing a three four as well. So that's that's kind of a neat neat way this this thing ends up matching up as far as future opponents go and and you know, sometimes these guarantee games are not real like you don't get a whole lot out of them schematically and and that way but like I I think FSU will probably prep for ULM like it's a real game because they'll get a lot of benefit out of that in, in future games as far as getting those reps in practice and practice and in the game schematically. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you wanted to, you know, kind of compare and contrast them with UVA, I know UVA is kind of the 
it's kind of it's kind of the, the sweetheart right now. They were in the preseason as far as as far as winning win, winning the coastal. We'll see how that goes. But um, I definitely think UVA is, UVA is more physical than ULM is. Their quarterback's probably a little bit better runner than Evans, but I think Evans is better. They're throwing motion aside a little bit, a little bit better passer. But um, but no, I, I definitely think it's a game that that could be uh, that could be interesting for a half, depending on how it goes. I think the key for ULM, you got, they're going to try to stay out of third long situations, try to stay on schedule. I know what they do and what Boise do uh, schematically is not really that similar, but I, I think I do think they're going there's going to be a concerted effort to try to run the football at Florida State to, to see how they see how they handle it. I know um, as far as far as the front goes. Um, you know, Vitor is pretty high on Marvin Wilson. He looks at that guy and he's kind of looking at me and said, this guy can make your life miserable if we let him. And so that, that's definitely going to be somebody they focus on. And really, you know, I, I think they're going to have to, um, I think I think they're going to have to stay on the field offensively because this, because on, on defense, I know, Flor- I know at the same token, Florida State couldn't stay on the field against Boise, but they, they are, they are concerned about Cam Akers and his ability to run and, just schematic of wide splits and getting everybody in space and put, putting, putting those uh, DBs on an island, that's something that could be scary for them because if you want to go, go back and watch, they played Ole Miss, Ole Miss last year with those three animals. They had a wide out. It did not go well. Usually they dropped 70 on ULM. Yeah, I, I, uh, w- w- when I saw the pass rusher was out, I, I ended up putting uh, FSU in my betting column and, and not without some hesitation because Florida State played like crap for a lot of the game uh, against Boise. But I was like, ooh, if, if – if ULM's not getting to the passer, and FSU's got these dudes spread out, they're going to find the one who, who can't cover. You know, probably at least at least a couple times. I, I would have to guess. But do you have a uh, you got a prediction? You, if, if you don't, by the way, we we always give the option if you if you're saving it for your column or, or for the paper or or whatever, um, you can hold off. But if, if you got one, uh, you can certainly feel free to lay it on us. You know, it, it's funny. Early in the early in the week, I was kind of liking uh, ULM, you know, uh, covering the twenty-one points. But the more the more I look the more I look at it, I think this is an opportunity that uh, you know it, it kind of remind it could end up being a little bit. Now, Grant, I don't think the game plans are going to be similar, but it could go end up going like that Auburn game twenty seventeen, where it was you know one score game at half before. You know, Auburn just kind of blew their doors off in the second half. I do think, as far as game planning, like the point you made that. You know, it, it'll 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 be like an actual live game plan for Florida State. Whereas that Auburn game, they were just kind of like, okay, we've got uh, they were they were on their way to winning the West that year. So we we've, we've got a very good offensive line. We've got good backs. And you can't block our front four, so that's just what it's going to be. So I, I do think this could be you know maybe this could be a you know one or two score game at halftime, and then um, depend depend on how how things go in the locker room at half, we could we could see um, we we could see it escalate from there. Awesome. All right, Adam, we really appreciate you coming on with us tonight. Again, y'all can follow him. That's Adam underscore Hunsaker. Literally, if you want to know what's going on with ULM during the game and you're one of the people who are you know have a second screen experience with, with the game on TV and, and Twitter up, he's probably going to be the only person tweeting about ULM-specific stuff. So I would strongly recommend giving him the follow. And, Adam, we really appreciate you coming on. No problem, guys. I appreciate it on my end, too. I was glad to do it. I really enjoyed that. That was that was great, and uh, I wish all of our guests we had on could be could be as good as Adam. You, you never know, but uh, that that was fun, man. 
goes to prove that the level of program that you follow does not parallel necessarily your knowledge of ball. That was that was great. We've had a, some great guests historically, and we've had some duds. And uh, Adam is a really informative individual about a a program. There, there's not a whole lot of other options too. So I encourage you to give him a follow if you have an interest in it, and certainly appreciate his time. He was a, a fantastic source of information for us. All right, so let's get into some goals real quick before we get to predictions on offense. Uh, just stop me if you disagree with any of these. Pretty sure you don't because we just discussed these before we hit court. Eight yards of play on offense. And I think that's an aggressive goal, but uh, maybe a stretch goal if you want to use a corporate term. Uh, but I, I think that's something Florida State should be able to do. Probably a lot of explosive plays in this one for the Knolls. I think you want to see them run 75 plays, right? And if so, you should, you should be up there kind of around 600 yards of offense, and then I want to see them stick again with uh, fewer than one procedure penalty for every 20 offensive snaps. Defensively, if you listen to our last show, I'm not really sure I had even set these because some of these kids look like they have no idea what the hell they're doing out there. But uh, under five yards of play allowed, especially before garbage time. Uh, under a 35% rushing success rate allowed. Uh, shutting down the run is going to be really key in this one. Uh, I mean, key to winning, obviously, but also key to to getting the blowout, if you will. And then uh, no more than one drive of 10 plays. So limiting those and actually getting off the field, being aggressive, not allowing not allowing ULM to kind of dink and dunk their way uh, down the field. You want to do predictions and maybe a little like how important this game is, blah, blah, blah. Oh, you want to do over-under on attendance? Yeah, we can play that game. I'll, I'll add one more very nebulous and macro grill, and that is to just appear to be a team that is coached in the sport of football. It would be great for uh, some of the millions of dollars of salary that uh, goes into this coaching staff's overall compensation plan to have the 85 guys uh, appear somewhat ready to play the game. Monroe won't be uh, somebody that you'll be able to make many comparisons from a talent perspective, but certainly don't need an effort that is at all indicative of what you got or at all reflective of what you got from game two last year. And uh, just looking for as nebulous as it may be a goal of a team that appears well coached and ready to play. So, Ooh, I like that goal. That's, that's a good goal. I'm going to say the attendance over under. And again, it's a little while before we actually get like the actual ticket scan number. So we have to go with the announced. I'm going to say announced. 56-5. I'm going to go with an announced of uh, 51,000. Woo! Man. It's, uh, I don't. I think this is going to be a... Uh, you remember when we started doing this podcast, how much we used to laugh at some of the pictures that would be associated with the Miami football program? I don't know if we're, uh, we're quite there yet, but I, I have concerns as to the... Uh, as to some of the future photos that may be associated with Florida State this year. Do you know anybody going to the game who does not live in Tallahassee? I don't. I don't know anybody going to the game full stop, unfortunately. It's I know a, a couple because they were already planning on going to the home opener. And that is why I feel like, okay, you know, the people that, like, they couldn't get free for the Boise game or they, they were okay to go to the Boise game in Jacksonville, but, like, once the hurricane started happening and then they couldn't get hotels and, like, the, the hotels obviously jacked their rates up. Not before we got in, though, thankfully. But – like the hotels jacked their rates up like crazy and it was like 450 bucks. And they're like, yeah, we're, we're not going to go to that. They're keeping their original plans of going to the home opener. So that's why I went a little bit higher than you, I, I think. But there's going to be some empty seats for sure. Maybe have a band day or a, like an Optimist Club day or 
you know, Boy Scouts Day or, or something. May, may want to call in one of those type days. Look, this game is important just to play another damn game to like not have hydrate gate talk and all this other nonsense. None of this stuff is at all a storyline, and we, we've basically avoided it if the team is winning and plays well. If you lose, everything becomes a storyline. We try to really keep stuff in perspective. Like, win or lose, if a story is largely nonsense, we're just not probably going to cover it. You know, unless it's really, like, symptomatic of a bigger issue or, or emblematic of a bigger issue or whatever. I don't know. You got anything else? Predictions time? <laughs> Straight off a high note there. Uh, yeah, predictions time. We'll get to it. I, uh... Monroe's a nice team with some nice pieces, but from a physical standpoint, Florida State should be able to, uh, God bless us, if we're not having a conversation about a Florida State team that was able to physically overwhelm uh, a lesser opponent. I I think Florida State wins this 48-21, somewhere in that area. I like that. I I actually had a couple scores sketched out, but I'm going to go ahead and go go 45-17. That's... That's a cover for Florida State. I, I do legitimately think the loss of their best pass rusher and the loss of his backup are, are pretty big issues, and I think the block, the deep ball will uh, will be a little easier to hit in this game. And also, if you heard Willie Taggart's comments about uh, wanting to give the ball more to Cam Akers, even though they were misguided because like they didn't stop running in the second half. They ran about the same rate. So that was just like kind of nonsense that coaches just say, whatever. But Tigers kind of got himself in trouble a lot this week saying stuff that maybe wasn't fully fully thought, uh, thought through and some unforced errors. But regardless, I do think if he says that, the OC is going to say, okay, yeah, we'll run the ball a little bit more. And if your tackles are 285 and 266, they're probably pretty quick as you as you watched. And they'll get, they'll get some tackles for loss because they have to use offensive lines. It's not that good. But – at the same time, there's also going to be some plays where they're just blown off the ball. And if you're blown off the ball and Cam Akers actually gets through the line without being touched, we saw last week what he can do. And so I, I think you'll have a big day probably from Akers. Uh, not a bad DFS play, by the way. If you guys are into daily fantasy in college, or that's kind of a developing market. I, I would look into Cam Akers this week potentially as a good DFS play. 